0: Hello and welcome to The Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: And I'm Rochelle Moulton.
0: And today we're going to talk about testing with a tweet.
1: Interesting topic.
0: Yes. So on episode 57, we had author Paul Jarvis come on the show and tell us about, well, we talked about a bunch of things. And one of the things he mentioned was that uh, he develops a lot of products, a lot of different things, including software products. And he sort of described a testing process that's about as MVP as it gets. So minimum viable product, I guess in this case, minimum viable test. And he said, yeah, I had an idea and I just tweeted it and wanted to see if it got any reaction. It did. So he did slightly more. I think the next thing he did was to make a he spent about an hour making a user interface mock-up for this sort of online software product he was thinking about making. And saw if he could get reaction to that. And then he did something on GitHub. I don't even remember that part, but <laughs> you were, you were <laughs> like, what's GitHub? So I know <laughs> <laughs> so do you remember more of that story? That's, that's the extent that I recall of the sort of lead-in.
1: I'm not sure, but I think this is the product where he collaborated with someone else to actually produce it. But but what he found was on GitHub that he got the same reception, only better. And so for him at that point, it was a no-brainer. Like, yes, I'm going to invest in creating this because I've got an audience. And it all started with a tweet.
0: Yes. And the product is called Fathom, and it's a, a privacy-focused version of Google Analytics. So it's the kind of thing that you just install on your website. And what's sort of interesting about it, I suppose, is that it's not free. There are free alternatives that exist. And he was just like, you know what? Maybe there's a market opportunity here for something like this that's very privacy focused. And this was in the wake of GDPR. So people were talking about it a lot. It's becoming more of a common conversation to have. Yeah. And he was just like, oh, well, maybe this is a thing or maybe maybe no one cares. So let me just tweet about it. I'm not going to go like like many software developers do. They get excited about this idea and they go out and spend six months coding it. And then they're like, I wonder if anybody wants this. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe you should have figured that out beforehand. And I've certainly learned that lesson the hard way after three or four tries of doing those sorts of things. When I have an idea for something, I'll just ask my list. Be like, if it's not already coming up organically, which in fact is usually what happens. If I've got an idea that nobody suggested, I'll kind of, you know, in a PS on an email, say, I'm thinking about doing this. If you'd be interested in something like that, click here to find out more. I like to give people this sort of easiest possible way to raise their hand and say, yeah, that might sound interesting. And if no one even does that, if no one even wants to click on a link, then how am I gonna sell it, (laughs) right? Like, how am I gonna get somebody to pull their wallet out? I love the idea of whether it's a book or a course, or a software product, or whatever the thing is you're planning on investing time and money into. I love the idea of validating that it's something that people want. And when I say that, I mean people who you are can reach, because there might be people who want it that you can't reach, in which case you can't sell it to them either. So it doesn't really matter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I thought was interesting about Paul is that because he isn't a programmer, he's a designer, you know, was there more reason for him to test this than there would have been otherwise? In other words, his core audience isn't looking to him for this kind of a solution.
0: I know he didn't talk about it on the show, but I know from just knowing Paul over the years that it's pretty common for him to build something that has a design element and a, a tech element, a code element. I can think of at least three occasions when he just partners with someone to do the code. It's sort of a 50-50 thing. And he does the, the look and feel and design and how it's supposed to work and the user experience and what to expect and what's in scope and what's out of scope and all of that stuff. And then he has somebody who gets under the hood and actually makes it happen. I don't think it's because he wasn't sure, because it was a tech thing that he wasn't sure, because he's done tons of tech things before, WordPress plugins and other apps. And he's done plenty of this is well trod territory for him and his audience is quite familiar with it I'm sure
1: so what that means for us is that we have no excuse not to test <laughs> that's what I mean
0: it's nuts not to I mean maybe maybe it's just like a function of age but I'm not going to waste my time going through the launch to crickets thing again it's just not it's not worth it And so the thing is, the the dear listener might be thinking, well, that's easy for you to say. You have like thousands of people on your mailing list and tens of thousands of people following you on Twitter. You can just ask them. My response to that is, well, do that first and then ask them. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you you build the thing for six months, you're going to have to build that audience anyway. You're not Nike. You're not going to spend millions of dollars on a Super Bowl ad the way things work now it's a word of mouth economy now people don't check stuff out anymore just cuz they saw an ad i'm not saying facebook ads and google ads don't work but they don't work that great and the prices are going up and i don't know it's just i guess it's just my my risk tolerance it's like i'm not going to i don't want to do that so spend a little time 6 months to a year or wh- however long it takes building up an audience of like-minded people and once you do that hard work, then if you've done it right, it's going to keep growing. And I mean, honestly, the first thing I tested in this way, I only had 500 people on my mailing list, which if you can't get 500 people on a mailing list, you really shouldn't be building anything anyway, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. But the, the flip side of that, and, and I love that you use that example of 500 people is that I also think that we can't get too hung up on the numbers. The key is that they're your people. And if that's 500 of your people some people with the products and services they have available can make a very nice living with an audience of 500 people. So it's you don't have to have 5,000, 50,000, 500,000. Yes, we all want that. But depending on your big idea, your business model, and the way you communicate with your people, you can make book on a lot smaller group. But you've got to have somebody.
0: <laughs> yeah, it needs to be high quality. They need to be engaged. They need to be the right people. I'm speaking specifically to listeners of this podcast when I say this, but if you're in the business of promoting a big idea and spreading a big idea, you know, you're on some kind of mission, you need to find these people anyway. So if you're trying to sell some Christmas-themed jackknife or something, okay, fine, get your physical product placed in some online, you know, gift buying guides and stuff and post some ads. And yeah, you're probably going to sell a bunch of them. But that's not the kind of audience we're talking about here.
1: It's hard to say slow build, but sometimes it can be a fast build, depending on what your message is. Maybe you have a new focus on something. I'm thinking of uh, Jonathan, when you started writing daily, I don't know if you changed your audience, but you built your audience and you created a different connection with them than what you had before. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do that, but you've gotta have an audience.
0: It certainly makes it a lot less risky. I think we've talked about it in the past when I've had a couple of, of ideas like, oh, this is an idea that maybe is something that people would be interested in. And when you have even a small engaged group of people that you're, it doesn't even have to be someone you're leading. It could be a Slack room that you're in or some other community a Facebook group that you're in. It doesn't have to be something that's, you know, where you're the linchpin, you know, you're the the leader or whatever, you're the person that started the thing. But if you're in this group of people that are who you think your buyer might look like, you might as well just ask them. The thing that I say to people all the time is if you can't find someone to give you their opinion about this idea that you have, how do you think you're going to find someone to buy it? I know we've talked about build it and they will come and that, that myth. (laughs) I'm I'm going through all the objections that I've gotten from people over the years in my head. It's like, I can't really ask them about it because they need to see the whole thing to understand whether or not they would want it.
1: Oh, please.
0: And it's like, if you can't describe the thing in one sentence, you're already in trouble. No.
1: That's like saying you're too smart for your clients. (laughs)
0: They just don't
1: understand you. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The other objection you get is the Steve Jobs, Henry Ford objection, which is, you know, if I ask people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. My reaction to that is it's a red herring. I don't think that people need to go around asking their audience or the market what to build next. That's not what I'm saying. The, The market's not an expert on imagining the future or it's just, it's not their job. They don't sit around thinking about that. You know, the average people, or if they do, it's about their own stuff. It's not about stuff you should do for them. So yeah, I, I wouldn't go to a group of like a focus group and say, hmm, what features would you like to see in, in the new Salesforce interface? Like that sounds like a nightmare to me. I'm not, that's not what I'm suggesting. That's the faster horse scenario. But the thing that the market or people or potential clients are complete 100% experts at Better than anybody is their problems, their pains, their challenges, the, the things that annoy them. They're great at that. <laughs> they're like, they're 100% up to date on that. So if you've got some sort of thing that you th- that you think addresses a particular kind of problem, you can go to them and say, the last time you had a problem like, th- have you ever had a problem like this? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've had that problem. Well, what did you do about it? And they'll describe some way that they did it. the last time it happened or the last few times it happened. And then you're operating in a place of facts. They're like, yes, I had this problem and here's what I did about it. Now, in my mind, if I have something that addresses that problem, I'm like taking notes like crazy. I'm capturing their language, you know, their frustrations, the, the gap between what they had to do and what their dissatisfaction with what they had to do to solve this problem. And, and when I say solve this problem, it could also be capture an opportunity. It could be like aspirational versus just reactive. You know, if you're Henry Ford and you're back in whenever that was, I don't even know. And you're thinking about building a car. And honestly, there were car companies around already. He just automated it. But anyway, to, to be kind of torturing the metaphor at this point, but. But the idea is, tell me, how, how do you get around? Oh, well, we ride a horse. All right, well, what's that like? What are the things about that that you don't like? Well, I've got to feed the thing, number one. Number two, I've got to house the thing. Number three, sometimes it's in a bad mood. I've got to clean up after it. It's all these things. I can't do this. I can't do that. Oh, what do you like about it? Well, it's, it can pull this thing and it can go across a field and it can go through the woods and it's okay, great. So if you're someone who's thinking about disrupting the technology space or just disrupting the transportation space you've got actual facts, you know, you can say, oh, well, I've got this, I've got this solution. It's cheaper than the horse. Yeah. You got to give it, you got to put gas in it, but you don't have to grow the gas and blah, blah, blah. And you can, and then you can do sort of a, a comparison to the existing solution and what they think the, what your potential market thinks is best about it. And do like a, not a point by point comparison, but you you know what you're talking about. Like you're not coming in solving a problem that doesn't actually exist, for example.
1: Well, you've also, by doing that, you've just created your messaging and marketing plan or the, the essence of it. 100%. You, yep. Right? I mean, that's what you do. Yeah, 100%. I also like when they just shut you down. <laughs> this is the beauty of this. I did this with my list maybe three, four months ago, and I have a section of my list that's newer that I've sent through a particular sequence of emails, and so I asked them, I had this idea, I thought, I'll just ask just them, I don't want somebody who's been on my list forever, I want these newer ones who've been through this experience, and I got one person that said they would be interested, and I thought, okay, <laughs> <laughs> That that just saved me a whole lot of time and a whole lot of effort I was sad for like five minutes because I thought it was a great idea But then I was happy that I hadn't wasted my time and launched to crickets.
0: Yes Yeah, I say that all the time too. There's a difference between a great idea and a business opportunity I used to do this all the time. Oh, I've got a great idea. I'd buy a domain name I'd get all excited. I'd plan it out. I'd do all this stuff and then like and in a couple of cases do like a coding sprint and like get something up there, post a YouTube video, nothing, nothing, no one cared. Yep. Yep. And when I look back on them, they're clearly not good ideas.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I also think there's different kinds of people with ideas. There's something I call it the shiny ball syndrome, which is, and this is a lot of people who have a lot of ideas have this, which is you have an idea and then you play with it for a little bit and then you're like, Oh, but here's another idea. And people who don't have as many ideas as that always look at that going, what? But by doing that, if you know that about yourself, you can start to go through a process to evaluate which of those ideas are keepers. And so if you're the kind of person that has 100 ideas where somebody else has two, your job or the job of someone you work closely with is to help sort out what two or three or four out of those hundred are really worth keeping and and developing in some way.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is almost like a, a meme in Silicon Valley where it's like, have an idea, raise funding, build it, and then look for product market fit. I mean, again, I think it's just a risk tolerance thing where mine is way lower than someone who's trying to pan gold in Silicon Valley. But The whole concept of this to me is 100% backwards. And it's like, well, why not do that first because that's easier and requires less investment. And then if you had that first, you might not even need investors
1: here's the difference between I think most of our listeners on this show and Silicon Valley or LA's Silicon Beach is that there is so much money chasing too few deals that it's really attractive in our with our audience. We're not chasing money. We're not chasing investors. The money we invest is our own. The time we invest is our own. And we have to we have to make are living from that investment. We're not out trying to pull in a million dollars or $10 million of venture capital. It's a different game.
0: Yeah. It's like a different kind of, it's like how you measure success, how you measure growth, what story you're telling yourself. We should probably do an episode on growth. You think? (laughs) Yeah. That was a big, a big theme with Paul and his new book, Company of One is about sort of the premise is like small is the new big and we could do an entire show on that. We should probably should do that.
1: I, I think, I think we should. <laughs> Not all growth is good.
0: Right. Unrestrained growth is the physiology of the cancer cell. I think he said. Okay. So I think if we were going to put a bow on this, it would be something like when you have an idea, that's great. But the temptation, is, and I know this is especially true with software developers, which is why it's such a big on my mind. Don't run out and build it first validate the idea. When you you've got what you think is a great idea, that is a hypothesis. It's an opinion, it's a possibility, and you might be right. So go find out. You know, you don't need to build an entire video course or SaaS product to tweet, "Hey, I've got this idea. Fave if you think that's interesting." Or some just a simple, simple little thing. And if if you get nothing, nothing, then go back to the drawing board. Maybe you need to rewrite the value proposition of the thing. Maybe it's just not a good idea. And when I say not a good idea, it's not something that's gonna get any traction with the market, but revising it way, way, way upstream before you've invested any time or money or blood, sweat and tears is so much easier than trying to rebuild a thing, like rebuild a thing. Redoing a video course or a software product, it's very expensive and painful. You don't want to find out six months or a year in that, oh, I should have done it almost like this, but there's a significant chunk that really should have been like that.
1: Well, and that's where we have to be really grateful, even though it doesn't feel like it in the moment, for that constructive criticism. Because that feedback that you get telling you that your baby isn't beautiful (laughs) is what's going to help you either kill it because it didn't sort to say it didn't deserve to live. That doesn't sound right. It's um, <laughs> so yeah.
0: harsh. It's dark. Yeah, I know. It's very <laughs> dark.
1: But but you just you give up on that idea or it helps you change the focus. Maybe you've got this great idea, but the angle is just wrong and you just tweak it. And all of a sudden you've got something that's game changing.
0: Yes. Start with the sales page before you even build the thing. It's like, well, how, how are you going to sell it? How are you going to talk about it? And then put a sign up button there. And if nobody signs up, you tweet, hey, I've got this idea for a thing. What do you think? If you do talk to people and everybody says it's a good idea, I take that with a major grain of salt. It's a good indication, but I I don't feel like it's validated until somebody actually pays me. So if people, if your friends and family or people who know you or trust you are saying, yeah, yeah, great idea. They might just be trying to encourage, be encouraging people and they don't (laughs) want to have the. They don't want to be the one that, that says, no, that's, that's crazy. I don't understand why that would work. That's a dumb idea. People don't want to say that. So, so I invite that. So if I'm talking to Erica, let's say, I'm like, I'm thinking about this. It, well, actually, I don't have to invite her. She'll just tell me if it's done. <laughs> but but there, there are certain people in your life who, are, who want to be nice and encouraging. And that's not what you need in this moment. In this moment, you want someone to tear it apart, tear it to shreds.
1: You have to have your your panel of people. And I laugh when you said Erica, because my husband, Harvey, he's the one who will always tell me my ideas are brilliant. If you listen to him, I am the smartest, most wonderful person <laughs> that ever walked the earth. But when I need constructive criticism, that's not where I go. So you have people in your life who build you up and you have people in your life who help you with constructive feedback with the goal of building you up. You know, they're not just doing it to be a-holes, but they're doing it because they really want your product to be better and they have the point of view of your sweet spot clients and customers.
0: The bottom line really is it is probably a good idea. It's something that I would certainly recommend. I think we're both strongly recommending uh, validating ideas, having a process, perhaps having an audience or maybe even a small team or some sort of community that looks like perhaps your target market or understands your target market and do that first because you've got something big to bring the world for sure. And maybe this particular packaging of it that you're imagining, this like sort of taking your expertise and putting it into a course or something, maybe that's not the best way to bring it to the world. Maybe there's a more effective way. Uh, Maybe there's a cheaper way. Maybe there's a way that you can do it. That's not as hard, that is still quite effective for people. So having a process to validate your any kind of big undertaking like that, again, maybe it's a function of age, but like I just think it's it's a no brainer. Like, why wouldn't you do that?
1: Well, I think it takes getting knocked around a couple times. And, and we, bo- we both have, you know, where, where we've launched things and, and we went, really? Why did we do that? <laughs> and, and when I say an audience, it could be an audience of 100, 500, 5,000, 50,000. But once you have that audience, and it can be private email kind of audience. But once you have that, you've got a sounding board. So it's an asset. Use it. They, and the beauty is they want to help you. I mean, think about when somebody who you respect, who you allow into your email box, asks your opinion. How often do you give it? Yeah. Yeah, probably more often than not.
0: Right, right. So cool. Get get them throwing money at you before you invest. <laughs> Take my money, please. <laughs> Right. If you if you touch a nerve, you'll know it. People will be like, take my money. When is it going to be ready? They'll be bugging you about it. You can tell when it's when you you nailed it.
1: Exactly. It's easier to look at like a gizmo that somebody's selling that everybody gets excited about. But it's your equivalent of the gizmo. Right. It's what you have that your audience really needs that can change their work, change their life, change their game.
0: All right. Great. Well, let's stop beating this horse. Hopefully, hopefully the message is coming across. Hopefully people will give this a try the next time they've got some bright idea.
1: Test with a tweet.
0: Yeah. or You can even send your email to me. I will, I will raise my hand right now. I will give you the, the straight dope, as they yes, say. Yes,
1: really. I'll raise my hand with you.
0: Okay, cool. So you've got two testers right now, dear listener. Well, that'll be it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: And I'm Rochelle Moulton.
0: And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye.
1: Bye Bye-bye.